All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we've been working through this passage. The first verse is a great indicator of the chapter, and that is an awareness of the times and seasons. In verse 2, referencing the day of the Lord and God's plan for what he has in store and for what God is doing. So one of the things that we are certain of this morning as we're gathered here is that God is at work in the world around us. That's pretty evident. And we recognize that there is a continual uh, writhing, as I've been saying, in the world around us over the affairs of life and interaction man with man, whether it's virus or whether it's the venom of the heart, uh, there is a lot of unrest in the world. But this time, this season, should not catch any believer by surprise. The Lord has given specific instructions to us, and in verses 4 through 8, which was our subject matter of last week, we should read out loud together to bring context back into the message for this morning. So verses 4 through 8, would you read out loud with me? But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 8, we've got most of the way through everything that was there, um, but there were some other uh, passages that uh, are to be brought to bear on verse 8 for those of us who are of the day as opposed to being those who are of the night. Those who are of the day are those who have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior. The day or coming to the light is a, another uh, reference to Scripture of God's people, that we are children of the light or children of the day, where the light of the world, Jesus Christ, has shone upon us and shining upon us, we have let that light in by receiving or placing our faith in Christ. He then makes us a child of the day where we were children of the night. And this admonition in verse 8 bears out in what's going to be said following. And I want to take now verses 8 through, 8 through 11 with a quick reference to verse 8 and a corresponding passage to reference this again. You are either a child of God or you are not. You are a child of the day or you are a child of darkness. You either have the exposure of God's light that has come upon you and you've received him as your Savior or the light of Jesus has shone in the world and you have not yet re received him or worse, you have rejected him. These are the two positions in the world. You are either a child of light, a child of the day, or you are a child of darkness. And this passage in verse 8 says, if we are those children of the day, there is a difference in who we are. And this is not just a societal difference of some political party, that you're of this party or that party. The difference in you is supposed to be the difference of Jesus. And the difference in this morning is that difference should affect your attitude and your behavior in the world. I know there's a lot going on. Our attendance this morning is reflective of that. 
And by the way, I didn't pray for this this morning, but we should absolutely be in prayer for John MacArthur and his church. Uh, as he's taken a stand in California um, about uh, what his church believes is an intrusion upon their worship, and I don't know all the details there, but I know that they are facing some very difficult times. And someone who was in contact with me about this earlier, when this first broke, I said the pressures that are going to come to bear, either he will go to jail, which is likely, or even greater, when I say greater, the greater pressure that will be born is that they will find him or the church into oblivion. That battle is before us. That battle is certainly in the world. And by the way, if you think Christianity is all on the same page on this, uh, you're wrong, okay? And I do believe that there's a lot of difference of opinion. And I really don't care where that church or that church or that church is. Every church better be making sure that you're trying to honor God, love him, serve him, and, and obey what he has to say. Now, how you carry that out, you've got to sort out as an independent, autonomous, local church. But I certainly would note this. What's going on in California with Brother MacArthur is not the same as what's going on here in Idaho. We thank God, are not suffering under the same hand of intrusion in Idaho. And can you say thank God for that? Can you praise God for that? You ought to. And I'm going to go ahead and say something else that's not involved with the message, but I'm going to say it anyway. You, as a believer, had better be voting. It is irresponsible not to. Now, I'm going to say it in this context. You are children of the day. And in no other place in the country have you been given the provision of being salt and light like you can be right here by even your vote. And I'm going to say something else that's not a part of the message, but I might as well get it in here. For all the believers that said they don't want to vote for Trump because he's not morally everything and they want to be, I want to remind you that you need to be voting for a president and not a pastor. And your, your vote makes a difference in the world around us. I can guarantee you that many forces of darkness are going to be at play in the selection season. And I didn't tell you just there who to vote for, but I am telling you as a believer, you need to be engaged as salt and light in the world around you and know that you have an opportunity to make a difference. Well, God use you, God direct you in those things, but right here in Idaho, we have freedom to be children of the day in a time where it's getting darker and darker and darker. I don't believe it's impossible that pastors might start go, going to prison. If that's the case, God be glorified. God glorify his name in whatever God is doing. Our God has a plan. God has not lost control, and we are children of the day. Therefore, be sober. Know what's going on. Have a right mind about what's going on. And while there's a lot of evil in the world, be careful, please. Hello. Be careful about all the conspiracy theories. Amen. Amen, Pastor Jeff. Thank you. Listen, uh, it's going to come out in this message. Satan, if there's a conspiracy in the world, I think we all are aware that there are powers at play. The greatest conspiracy that is happening in the world is satanic. There is a force at play in the world that is against the divine plans of God, but God has already shown through the person and the miraculous work of Christ on the cross that God can use the sinful deeds of man to actually carry out his will. Remember that when Christ was going to the cross, 
in that demonic plan to squash the Messiah, that God used that very means to provide our salvation. God is in control. We are children of the day. Be sober. Be sober. Don't be a child in our reckonings of this world. Don't be running hither and thither with your world all upside down, not knowing what's going to happen, reacting in fear. Be the adult in Christ that he's called you to be. Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for in helmet the hope of salvation. We've already worked through this verse last week, but I would like to reference Ephesians chapter 2 as a reference of this being a child of the day. Would you take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, regarding children of the day or children of the night, and you, now the you here would be believers, everyone that knows Christ as your Savior, hello, do you know him? Do you know him? This is written to you, and you hath he quickened, the word quickened there means to be made alive, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of what? And by nature were the children of? Both here and at home, I hope you said the word. The word is wrath. This is who we were outside of Christ. We were the children of wrath, even as others. But God, the conjunction here, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. As you read further, it goes on to say, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In these verses, folks, we take note of this passage to remember that we were in our past darkness, but we are now children of light. If you look over a few pages later in that same book, would you look at Ephesians 5 and verse 8? Ephesians 5 and verse 8, bearing out that context of what we just read in Ephesians 2. But look at verse 8 of Ephesians 5. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. You have a quick admonition after that. Walk as children of light. And all God's people said, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Let that be who you are in this dark time of history, in this uncertain time of history. Of everything you are, you are a child of God if you know him as your Savior. So listen, I don't care what's going on in the world, whether it's racism, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's whether you tested positive COVID for COVID or think you may, the greatest identifier that any of us have 
if we are a believer, is that we are children of the light. We are children of the day. Now act like it. Live like it. Have joy. Have hope. Have encouragement. And that is where we go when we come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Well, now you go there. 1 Thessalonians 5. We come back now. We pick up with verse 9. Now, verse 9 is going to take a moment to explain much of our message today is going to be anchored right here because I'm going to go into two theological realms of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so the admonition, we are children of the day. Be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. Upon that statement, the hope of salvation, there is then this admonition. As those who have the hope of salvation, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. This has two contexts to which it speaks in this same verse. The first and most immediate context is the context of salvation. We have the hope of salvation as a helmet. I said last week, it guards, it guides, it works on our head. I submit to you because it ought to alter how we think about things going on in the world. Does it alter how you think about things going on in the world? Does it? Does it? It needs to. And again, I don't care what your circumstance is. It needs to affect what we have going on in the world. And there's a lot going on. There are businesses in jeopardy. There are lives in jeopardy. There, there, in this midst of things going on, has trouble isolated itself to COVID? Has trouble isolated itself to politics? Let me ask you, do you have other problems in your, in your lives besides these things? I was talking to a believer the other day, and they were saying, you know, everybody's all alarmed about uh, COVID and this and that. And, they, and this is what they said. I got enough trouble on my own. I don't even listen to the news. I don't care because I got enough trouble going on in my little world of me. Well, I understand that. Why? Because this is, this is the nature of a sin-cursed world. But it doesn't matter what the problem is. We as children of the light, if we have the hope of salvation as a helmet, it better change the way we think. Can you face death and still have encouragement? Hello? Can you face death and still have joy? What if God calls you to a disease to magnify his name? What if God calls you to a sickness to magnify his name? What if God calls you to loss to magnify his name? What if God calls you to imprisonment to magnify his name? Are you going to be at peace with God because you have the hope of salvation? Salvation, in its immediate context, is the salvation of the soul. That's what's being spoken of here. Now, what it means here, as it says this in verse 9, is a very particular note. God has not appointed us to wrath. This is an important context. The context is salvation, that God has not appointed us to a context of wrath. So Jesus then is for us. He is our redeemer. Our redeemer. We note him most specifically as our Savior. John chapter 3, if you would. John chapter 3, and we'll isolate ourselves to the last verse of that chapter. 
where God makes it very clear that we, again, are either children of the day, and there's a consequence to that, or children of the night, and there's a consequence to that. John 3 makes very distinct two groups, believers or unbelievers. Believers or unbelievers. So with believers or unbelievers in John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son has what? Let's unified, gather together to worship the Lord together. Say it with me. He that believeth on the Son hath? And he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but instead the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath, wrath of God sits like a, a blanket across the world upon every individual. The world is presently under the curse and under the wrath of God. If you know Jesus, you know him as your rescuer from that wrath. And what does that mean? Quite literally, it means that you and I will not experience eternal damnation. You and I will not experience eternal death. You and I will not be separated from God. Instead, we have been given everlasting life. We are not children of wrath. Is it worth coming to church today, whether online or physically here, is it worth coming to church today to glorify God that you have been rescued from the wrath of God? Is it worth lifting up your voice and saying, praise God, I have been redeemed from eternal wrath because Jesus took all the wrath for me? Is it worth coming with the body of Christ together today, lifting up the name of Jesus in praise, saying, thank God I'm saved? We sang songs this morning all across the platform. The, the, the offertory was praising the name of God, all hail the power. All hail the power of Jesus' name. We sang two songs about being saved, knowing that we're bound for heaven. How can we appropriately, with the magnitude that it deserves, give God the glory for what it means to be forever rescued from the just wrath of the hand of God? I don't know that we can ever do it. But we can try here this morning to thank God. And I think across this room and online, God's people should be offering praise to their great Savior for being just that, our Savior. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It is not wrong or inappropriate to ask this question over and over. You hear it asked often. Where? would you be without Jesus? What would your life look like without Jesus? And by the way, Christian, the Lord has never called you to a half-hearted Christianity. The Lord has never called you to a, 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 a minor walk with him. God has called you to be all in. And I'm calling you that to that this morning to recognize that God has made you a child of the day and a child of the light and let that truth affect your disposition in the world. But it will not do it if you're just playing games with God, if you're not serious about your walk with him. You're going to need in these days to be in constant fellowship with God. Now Romans 1 tells us in this passage something else to be grateful for because recognize if it wasn't for the grace of God, 
What you see in this passage will be true of us. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, as I read forward. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. A quick note there, when the Bible says that it's revealed against all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, that holding of the truth in unrighteousness is not simply holding it in the hand, it's the idea of pushing it down and away. The word most often translated to signify this would be suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. This is what ungodliness does. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are what? What are the next two words? They are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even what? His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Who's the they? The they are the unbelieving. No one will be able to stand before God and justly condemn a righteous God saying, you should have saved me even though I didn't want to turn to you. The sentence of damnation comes on all as the just and holy wrath of God is executed upon those that have made a decision to turn their backs on the God who is creator of all and his Savior, the Lord Jesus. Because, in verse 21, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Do you think we've got foolishness in the world today? Professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools, and changed the glory of, of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also did what? He gave them up to uncleanness. How? Through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a what? A lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God did what? He gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men <clears throat> leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, even men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Make no mistake. In this judgment, God simply gives man over to his own fleshly desires. It is very clear in Scripture that homosexuality, lesbianism, and all that deviance is the manifestation of God's judgment upon those who have turned their back on God. Is there still hope? Turn to Jesus. Turn to Christ. Christ can save anyone. Amen? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. These people in darkness are under the wrath 
of God. They are experiencing in their flesh this hopeless writhing, this twisting in the world, trying to find meaning in darkness, trying to find encouragement in darkness, trying to get some social justice, trying to get this and that, to somehow find peace in the world. There is no peace in the world when you're outside of Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 2, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. So just a moment here just to say, whoever the elite are of the world that makes rules for everybody else becomes the platform of hypocrisy. There is a great judgment going on in society all around us of those that see themselves as better than others for this reason or that reason. And what we find is the world is full of hypocrisy. For we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest them the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Hello? If you're lost this morning and have the audacity to deny Christ, to turn your back on him, and think that you're going to escape judgment, you're in for a fiery wake-up where there is no hope, and the call of the gospel is turn to Christ while there is hope. Turn to Christ while there is still day. Understand that the ultimate day of God's judgment is coming, and you'd better turn to him now before it is too late. I don't know how to ask that with any more plea, with any more begging, but I would say for anyone lost, please turn to Christ. Verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent, which is unrepentant heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The passage makes it clear that no one, no lost person is going to escape the righteous hand of God's judgment. It is for this purpose that the Savior came to the world that people might be saved. Romans 5, 8 and 9, a couple pages over. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what does it say? Christ died for us. Listen to the next verse. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The only way to escape coming judgment is to take the bridge to Jesus, is to come to faith in Christ. He is the hope of the world. A church located at 5480 in Cherry Lane, Fellowship Baptist Church, has found the cure for all disease. His name is Jesus. He is your Savior. If you're looking for some kind of hope outside of him, you're going to be in darkness. Turn to faith in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, we've referenced several times, and to wait for his son, 
This is what believers are doing, waiting for the Son to appear from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, even this Jesus, which delivered us from what? Delivered us from the wrath to come. The worst thing that can happen in this world is not that Joe Biden gets elected president. The worst thing that can happen in this world is that somehow some calamity fall your life. The worst calamity that can happen in this world is that you would die not knowing Christ is your Savior. If you think for a moment that you will escape the just hand of God's judgment because you denied his existence, because you want to say he's not there, speaking the lie will not make the truth go away. The context of 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, where God hath not appointed us to wrath, has an immediate context, and that immediate context is that Jesus has saved us in the eternal wrath of God's judgment. That's the most immediate context. Are you saved this morning? Are you saved this morning? Just for a moment. Those at home, those gathered right here. If you're saved this morning, think about singing this song with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. But now I see. The immediate context. I'm saved from the wrath to come. There's a broader context to this verse. The broader context is not only are we saved from the wrath to come, ultimately, of the hand of God's wrath and judgment, where the soul is either saved by Christ or lost to eternal wrath through damnation, is not only that context but it's the context of the coming day of the Lord. The coming day of the Lord, as we've been looking at, is the day where God visits the world with his executed wrath, where he steps in as he promised in time and history, and in his second coming initiates that great day of the Lord. First Thessalonians 4 has already noted that God is going to rapture his church. He's going to take his children out of this world. And when he does, he is going to visit upon this world the executable hand of his wrath on a world that has defiantly and stubbornly and continually thrown their fist in his face and said, I don't want you. Luke chapter 23, Christ is nearing the cross. And just before he is crucified on the way to the cross, we pick up in verse 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon it, one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Luke chapter 23, now verse 27. 
There followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. On this way to the cross, Jesus has a sermonette, a very small message you don't often hear related when you talk about the cross. Verse 28 of Luke 23, Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. Listen to verse 31. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? The admonition here is that the green tree of Jesus is right in front of them. All the displayed miracles, all the magnificence of his glory, proving who he was, was right there in front of them. They are marching him to the cross. He is just about to take the first nail into his wrist. He's about to take the nails into his feet. He's about to experience the raising of the cross and the thud that sinks it into the ground. And his message is, do not weep for me. Understand, I am coming because the promises of God are sure. There is a day of judgment. There is a day that no one will escape. There will be a crying out for the rocks and the hills to cover them, the mountains, to obscure someone so that there would be the sweet piece of this hopeless annihilation that if by some chance I could be annihilated and, and avoid this just hand of the holy wrath of God. There is in this message of Jesus just before the cross, this surety, there is coming a day where the Lord will come back and will execute that wrath upon the world and there will not be escape for anyone. With that message, he goes to the cross. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> the second connotation of 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ is the connotation <clears throat> of God's taking of his church in a pre-tribulational rapture. We are, a, as a belief, doctrinal, theological platform, a church that believes in a pre-tribulational rapture where God is going to remove, in 1 Thessalonians 4, his children from this planet before he empties the cup of his wrath. We believe that partly because of what we read in verse 9. But we come to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, we read of the seals that are opened. 
that execute the beginnings of God's wrath upon the planet. Revelation 6, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Revelation 6 and verse 3, and when he had opened this second seal, or the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. There went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil of the wine, and the wine. Verse 7, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto them, unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken with a mighty wind, of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? If you want further description of the executable wrath of God's hand, read Revelation chapter 8 and chapter 9 this afternoon. Take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Revelation 16, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. 
And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and a power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of the Almighty. Behold, he says in verse 15, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Have you had your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you received the garments of the Lamb? Have you come to that great wedding of Christ where you recognize as a believer that you are his bride? And as his bride, you are clothed, you are watching, and you are ready because you know Jesus. Verse 16, and he gathered them together into a place called the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since, was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Let me ask you, can you imagine such a thing? Because you cannot imagine it doesn't mean it will not happen. 
There fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. You read further in verse 17 of more of God's coming wrath. Listen, there's a lot in this prophecy that's ahead. There is a pre-tribulational rapture of God's people. There is the tribulational period. There is in that as well this writhing of mankind still fighting against God through all that time, and there is still future yet, the wrath of God executed upon everyone who still continues to defiantly reject him. So let me ask you this. In what we have just read, is this going to happen? Can you begin to see in this present day how this is quite easily done by the hand of God? Let me ask you, is it right for Christians to be concerned about being chipped with a microchip? Is it right for you to be worried about it? Do you see how that receiving the mark of the beast can quickly translate to the economic navigability of people. That if you don't receive this, you can't do this. Do you begin to see how that can happen? Do you begin to see how quickly, listen, how quickly God can turn the world on its head? We keep saying we've never seen a time like this. That may be true. But according to what I've just read, we haven't seen anything yet. Let me ask you, do you not want to be at a place where you're under the wrath of God? Either, first of all, because you die and stand before him naked, unclothed in your own unrighteousness, or... Let's say there's the rapture of the church. Do you want to experience any of these judgments that God has said are going to happen? Make no mistake. Of greatest certainty, God has fulfilled consistently, without, without exception, all the promises he has made. Our Bibles are full in Old and New Testament, of this sure promise that God executes his wrath upon the unjust. Sometimes it happens right away. But whether it's right away or yet to come, God's promises are sure and he will do what he has said he will do. So what choice do you have? Listen to me. What choice do you have? You either have hope in Christ or you've got nothing. Hello? You've either got hope in Christ or you've got nothing. We are facing a very strange time. I've already mentioned Brother MacArthur. I do not know what's going to happen to him, but it's, I'm going to tell you 
that if they send Brother MacArthur to jail, that will be the very easy beginning of many others to follow suit. If that's what God has in plan, preachers can still go to jail and the church can still thrive. Hello? But God is doing something, and this message today is a warning to every lost soul, you will not escape the sure hand of God's wrath if you don't turn to Jesus. There is no safety outside of Christ. You will fall un under the just hand of God's judgment if you don't turn to him in faith. We come to our passage in the last verse that we read this morning. There are two verses, and Derek, there's no hope yet, so you might as well keep up, brother. I got two verses yet. Our verse says here in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 10, who died for us, for, let me read verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Read, out verse, read verse 10 out loud with me. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Amen? So the salvation immediate is salvation of our soul. Being with him. God, in saving you, has promised that whether you're alive right now, or whether you die knowing Christ, he's made you to be with him. So right now, what that means doctrinally for every believer walking this planet, what God wants for us to be doing is to be walking in fellowship with him constantly. But if we die, the euphemism of sleep here, if we die, we are going to be ushered into the presence of God where we read in John 14 that we are not to be troubled because he has gone to prepare a place for us that where he is what? We may be also you want rescued? You want deliverance? It is only found in Christ. The last verse, and I'm going to take a moment here. I'm, I, our, our time is done, but I need to say verse 11 this morning. It's important to say, would you read verse 11 out loud with me? Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. It's really important that I have your attention right now. And I'm going to take whatever time is necessary. A great portion's at home, and you might think about being there next week because I'm going to take some time. And you could be eating lunch while I'm continuing to go further, okay? But here it is. Here it is. Somebody's going to start breaking your lunch. Uh, don't. I'm looking at you. <laughs> There's some that I think might, okay? Um, listen. We have some things that we're supposed to be doing right now, and that is we are to be comforting each other with these truths. Is this the first time that he said this? No. At the end of chapter 4, he said, comfort one another. Amen? He said, comfort each other with these words. The words of Jesus is coming again. All right, so comfort, remember, is to this. Are you with me? Listen, there is no place for us today to, it's one thing to experience darkness because of news we hear. It's one thing to be discouraged because something happens. It's another thing to stay there. 
You and I are to be children of the day, and we, listen, we are to be encouraging people. Now, I don't mean by encouraging people, understand what I'm saying. While, yes, we're going, we're, we need to be encouraging others, but I'm saying by nature, we need to be the type of people who are encouraged. The comfort here is an exhortation towards encouragement. It's coming alongside brothers and sisters in Christ, putting your arm around them spiritually and lifting them up and saying, listen, don't be without hope. We have Christ. Don't be worried. We have Christ. What are you worried about? You know how this story ends. This story ends in every fashion for a believer that you are with Christ. What's there to be worried about? Comfort one another with these words. Encourage, it says here, comfort yourselves together. Hey, are you doing okay? Are you? I'm gonna, are, you, are you ready for a very real moment? Okay, if you're not used to fellowship, I'm not just preaching. I am trying to personally by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit, get into your life. So listen, please, to what I am saying. It is my sense today, probably the third time that I've said this, it is my sense today that the church is in tension. And you might say, Pastor Jeff, is there a problem at fellowship? Yes. The problem at fellowship is a human nature problem that all of Christianity, I think, is experiencing. So it's not isolated fellowship. It isn't like somebody's raised their head and, you know, and they're out of sorts. But I'm telling you that what I think I see going on in society and even in our church is that there's just a tension of living under the pressure of what our society is experiencing right now. You've got COVID every day. I was, I was at Napa Auto Parts yesterday. Black gentleman walked in the store, and I, I spoke to him, and I said uh, he, was, he, was, he was trying to get his mask on. And uh, he kept trying to get his mask on, whatever reason it wasn't working right. And I said, hey, just so you know, this store isn't requiring that, and, and I don't think you got to worry about it right now. He's like, oh, good. He said, I just got yelled at over at another store. I don't know if that guy's saved, lost, I have no idea. But my point is, I, I had somebody else in our church, I won't say their name though, I don't think they'd care. They went to a Jackson's and they've been trying to wear their mask, but they're not used to it and where they're living, that's not required. They walked into a store, they forgot something, ran back in to get it. And when they walked in, they forgot to put on their mask. Employee lit into them. That's tension. That's tension. You got some people believing you should wear masks, some people believing you shouldn't, some people saying that if you don't wear masks that you don't care about people, some people saying if you wear masks you're a sheeple and you're just a tool of the government. Stop. 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 Said differently, stop. I told you last week my counseling strategy. Stop it. 
okay? My point is this. It is not right in this time for this tension to bleed over into God's people. Another source of tension is whether or not churches like Brother MacArthur's are doing the right thing. You have churches within themselves wrestling over, is my pastor a coward? Is our church a coward? Or are we going to say, hey, bless God, nobody's going to change what we're going to do, and we're going to do what we're going to do. You, know, you got people drawing up lines. Listen, I don't care what our excuses are. We've got no business acting like children of darkness and letting the circumstances of our day hurt God's family. Hello? I respect that there are differences of opinion on what people do. But we better stop drawing lines and saying, I heard somebody else. I, I thought, what an inappropriate statement. I saw someone else saying that if, um, if the days of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were today, they posted this online. They said that they believe that all the pastors would be saying, take a knee. I want to tell you, that rankles me by the backhanded self-aggrandizing statement that they're the only one with courage. It also bothers me to bring into context the idea that somehow these pastors, and by the way, where a pastor does do the wrong thing or a church does the wrong thing, the church needs to land in the right place and honor the word of God and honor God. And, do, and follow humbly what God has to say. And when God wants that to be clear for his church, it'll be clear. But here on this side of working through these things, we have got to be in a position of encouraging each other. And what I'm saying is we need to be careful not to let the topics of the day, the issues of the day, wrestle their way into the church and be used as a tool of Satan to harm God's work. Can all God's people say amen to that? Amen. Now, I've asked you to say amen, but I'm asking you to make a decision to be guarded against that in your life. We're to comfort ourselves together. And the next word is we're to edify one another and it goes on to say, even as also ye do. Our time is far gone. On this last point, I want to make note of this edify. The edify is a builder. It specifically is a person who builds houses. That's what the word is. It's someone who builds houses. It means to construct. No one who is a construction person or a person that lives in that world or is a person who builds houses and is doing something for other people goes in and on work that they have meticulously gone through and built to great specification wants to walk in and then take a hammer and start tearing it up. That's not what a builder does. 
You're trying to accomplish something. Many builders put their name behind what they're doing as a testimony of their character. I want to build well. I want it to be square. I want it to be level. I want it to look right. I want it to be solid. I want it to be secure. I want to build well. We are called to build well God's church and to not tear it down. And here's what I'm saying. Listen, listen, Christianity is crazy today, or at least those who are named the name of Christ. You've got those who are Christians who are, who are lining up with Black Lives Matter. I've got, I've got a, a, a person close to my life who is supporting agendas that defy God, support the killing of life, and they're throwing it out there on a banner saying, hey, join me. And I'm like, this saddens me. I love you as a person, and it saddens me to see this. But you know what's happening? Is that instead of trying to build, we're throwing out these, these bombs at each other that are destroying. Let me, let me be clear about this. In the days ahead, I believe the church is going to come more and more under fire. Do not let this place allow the fires to start from within. Do not let yourself become partner to destroying. What we, each of us, need today is God. We need his word. We need love for each other based on love for him. And we need a humility of grace to pursue him together. And in that process, encourage each other. Build each other up. There are people who've not been here for months and they want to be here hold them up there are people who are experiencing health issues new to them that are significant going through it right now has nothing to do with COVID and they're facing it at a time where they don't feel like they can come to church do you think they would rather be here God in his majesty for how he's designed us has given us a personal fellowship with him. In his design, he's also given the church. And let's be the church that God wants us to be. Encourage people on purpose. Comfort them on purpose. Build them up on purpose. And know that all of this, all of this is in the context of of this sure promise, Jesus is coming again.